Hello guys, my name is Daniel, I am uh, the pastor over at, just sit on the stand or whatever, at Redeemer Point Pleasant, and I know I know many of you, there's perhaps some faces that I have not met yet, but uh, thank you all for coming here. I know that this is going to be just kind of one of those milestone markers for our church plant, just for encouragement, and just a breath of life into us, and uh, so thank you guys for being here, I'm excited to be with you. This morning. So, um, really quick too, there's bathrooms right over there. We haven't ever said that, so if you need to go to the restroom, it's straight through that door to my right and back to your left. So, uh, this sermon is going to be uh, geared towards our churches together, and it's going to be centered on one of the fundamental questions of Christianity, which is, what is the center of the gospel? What lies at the very center of the gospel? Who is the gospel ultimately about? Uh, That question may appear kind of silly, but I ask it at this service because it is a very central question that lands itself in the middle of who we are as Redeemer churches. And after this sermon, you might be surprised to find that it is very easy to get confused on that question. As Americans, the opportunity presents itself to curve many things inward and to make things about you. Without realizing it, much of our society, especially in the suburbs where we are located, becomes about personal space, personal time, and personal usage. It's how we are trained to think and to process life, and unfortunately becomes very normal for us. The place we live in this suburban kind of environment is designed not with us in mind, but with you in mind, and not so much others. DJ Waldy, uh, an author over in California, he wrote a book called Holy Land, A Suburban Memoir, and he told the story of a suburban town that he grew up in, in Southern California, built specifically for the World War II vets, his father, which was one of them, and so he was the first generation to kind of grow up in this experimental idea of a suburban community back in the 50s and 60s. He tells the story of how at the beginning, when he was a young child, after these homes were built, there was a strong sense of looking out for your neighbor, caring for your neighbor, being in their lives and yours and theirs. Yet, as the years rolled by, the community itself didn't change so much. But the people started changing inside the neighborhood. It seemed to have strange effects on its inhabitants, so much so that over time, he had a new neighbor move in just a few houses down. And over the course of uh, many, many months, he noticed that the grass in this neighbor's front yard kept getting higher and higher, and it was not being cut. And in former times, he remarked, uh, people would go and knock on the door with their lawnmower in hand and say, hey, do you need help? But he said, suddenly he realized, and he's talking to himself, nobody was doing anything until one of the neighbors called the police about the high grass. The police knocks on the door. They find this new neighbor had passed away all alone. And he writes in the book, he says, and he remarks, I didn't even know their name. I tell this story because this is a suburban world that we live in, and I'm afraid if we're not really intentional to think through how this environment affects us, I think it can dribble down even to our theology. I don't have time to do it, but much of Christianity's explosion in the past century in America has taken place not so much in the urban cities, but rather in the suburbs. I'm going to briefly argue 
That if we are not careful, we can treat the gospel and the good news as though it has entered our suburban neighborhood that has knocked on your door and entered your home. And upon faith entering your heart and making the good news ultimately about us and what Christ has done for us individually and personally, staying within the four walls of our life. We can approach the good news and even share the good news as if it is the good news, as if that is the good news only in terms of what Jesus has done for you. It is a personal decision between you and the Lord, we often say, that I have often said, Jesus wants a relationship with you, and that's the good news. Of course that's true. I'm going to argue that that is not the full picture of the gospel, nor is that the center of the good news, of the gospel of Christianity. That is not how Paul spoke of the gospel, how the New Testament described it. This is because the gospel, the gospel, the good news of Christ, is not ultimately about you. And if we are, if we are to try to have two churches in two locations and prayerfully in the future, see even more than two churches, um, and by God's help build a regional network of churches who plant churches, we must understand this ABC type of question. Who is at the center of the gospel? What is at the center of the gospel? And understanding this question will hinge our identity, I think, as two churches, it could even make or break us as we see unity and cohesiveness as a body of Christ. So, we are going to land not with your bulletin say because I changed my sermon like two days ago. And we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15 instead of Ephesians. We will touch on Ephesians, but 1 Corinthians 15. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. The first five verses. Now, I would remind you, this is Paul talking. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you unless you believed in vain. What is this gospel? Verse 3. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and to the twelve. Paul wanted to remind his hearers of the gospel that he preached to them. The Corinthians received it. They are standing in it. They have been saved due to their faith in it. They've had some eternal issues at this church. And as Paul was ending this letter, he wanted to end not on a set of complex doctrinal issues, but he wanted to end on the most basic one. Hey, guys, let me remind you where all of this started, where your faith began. This is very important, but why? It is the gospel he preached to them, which they received and which they still stand. They have not yet moved beyond the message because you cannot move beyond this message. The message is still important for them to understand even now because they are still standing in it. And also they are still being saved through it, that is, this Christian life. We are still living out this salvation that we have received once for all. have been saved by faith. have been sealed in Him, but we are still living this out. And the gospel is central to understanding this. He continues on and he says that He delivered to them the gospel, which was of first importance. Scholars believe that these words we are about to read, that Paul also says that He Himself received, that He was merely duplicating and passing on to this church, the words that he read may perhaps be the oldest words in our New Testament. It's probably what Paul was taught right upon his conversion to Christianity. and was probably taught to memorize it, and he passed it along to others as well. 
It's essentially the first creed that the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene's Creed, etc. Um, that was based on and, and takes its form and shape. This is a summary statement of our faith. It is of first importance. Nothing else higher, says Paul. So, we should listen and read carefully. So let's revisit this. How does he describe the good news? The summary statement of Christianity. He says really four things. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And after that, He was raised. He appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and then to the twelve. And that's the good news, ladies and gentlemen. But my question is, when is the last time that we share the Gospel like that? Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and He was raised. That's the good news! Rather, this is often how we share the gospel. This is how I was trained. I've grown up in Christianity, and this is how I was trained to think about the gospel, which I want to say certainly is an extension, is a reality of the gospel, which has been usually told like this. God created you and has a great plan for your life, but your sins have separated you from God. Jesus died for your sins. And believe in Jesus, receive eternal life, and you will go to heaven when you die. And you are sealed in that, and you cannot lose that. Are those things true? Absolutely. We rejoice in those things. Yet, Paul does not mention those things specifically as he talks about the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15. He doesn't exactly go there. And I'm afraid that we have mistakenly, even at the very onset of our faith, made someone else the center of the gospel. Us and what we get from Jesus. But Paul, on the other hand, has someone else at the center of the good news, which is Jesus himself. Our salvation is a byproduct of the gospel. But according to Paul here, it's not really the central piece of the gospel. Paul summarizes Jesus' story that he died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was resurrected on the third day, and that many saw him and can testify to that resurrection. Elsewhere in Romans 1, verse 6, Paul expands a little when he describes the gospel. It's very much the same ilk as verse Corinthians 15. At the beginning of his epic letter to the Romans, listen how Paul describes the gospel. Romans 1, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Set apart for the good news of God, which was what? We promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. It's in the Old Testament, as he said in 1 Corinthians 15, according to the Scriptures, concerning his Son, who was ascended from David according to the flesh. And was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by what? His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of the faith for the sake of His name among the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. The good news is all according to the Scriptures and can be found in the prophecies of the Old Testament. It is concerning, essentially, who, first and foremost? God's Son, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh. In the Old Testament, who descended from David? Who were his descendants? They were kings. It was a special family that is the line of kings in the Old Testament. And Jesus finds himself in that line. He was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Holy Spirit. How so? By his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because of these things, Paul has received grace. We have received grace. And Paul received his apostleship. And because of the gospel, he now seeks to bring about the obedience of the faith in Jesus' name among all 
the nations. I can give you many more examples. But the summary of the gospel according to Paul in the New Testament isn't so much what you and I get from Jesus. It isn't so much about after believing Jesus that we get eternal life. That is true in Him. We have security eternally in Him. All those things are true. But those are the wonderful benefits that indeed belong to Christians. But that's not where the good news starts. It starts with Jesus. It starts with His life and His kingly ancestry. It starts with His death and His burial. It starts with His resurrection. It starts with Him defeating the ultimate enemy of death. And that, my friends, is the beginning of the good news. As we go on the back end of this sermon, why is it so important that we understand this little, what may appear to be a nuance? What does this have to do with our two churches? Well, first and foremost, the gospel ultimately isn't about you and you individually. If we only describe the gospel as the benefits we get from Jesus through a decision that you make with the end result of going to heaven when you die, let's be honest. You could do that and never have a vision of why to go to church. Never be in other Christians' lives. Live in isolated faith. You could build your fence up, right? In your own potion stamp of faith, if you will. Just like we know in our surrounding communities. And we say, I can do this by myself. Jesus has come into my heart, and I have the Bible, and that's all that I need, and He has saved me, and I am good to go. That's not how this Christian life works, my friends. As we aim to be two churches, we must listen to the gospel once again. We must revisit the New Testament again and realize that the good news is not first and foremost about Jesus being invited into your heart. Rather, the good news begins with a resurrected Lord inviting you to follow Him. Matthew 11 states this very clearly. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden. Come, I will give you rest to your souls. He also says, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus did not come to save you and to save you only. He saves us. His Holy Spirit, yes, is our helper. He dispenses gifts to us, yes. But why? For the sake of your brothers and sisters around you. But those things aren't the center of the good news. Those gifts are not ultimately just for you, but those around you. The center of the gospel is the Lord Jesus Christ. His life and His resurrection, all else that follows, is simply how our lives and our very identity come, becomes completely reoriented and wrapped up in our union with Him. We are brought to Him. He gathers us to Himself. We don't gather Him to us. In Ephesians chapter 2, this comes very clear. As we place Jesus at the center of the good news, as we realize that Jesus calls us to follow Him and calls us to become fishers of men and women to follow Him. As we do that, we look beside us and what do we find? Others sitting around next to you also following Him. The person next to you, the person in front of you, the person behind you. And we realize, wait a minute, there's a whole bunch of us that Christ has called to follow Him. And wait a minute, we have something in common. You're following Him. I, I want Christ too. He has called me. He has called you. We, because of His summoning, now we are following Him together. Then we can look at each other and say, this is hard sometimes. Isn't this call of Christ at times difficult? And we look around and realize, well, we're not alone in this difficulty. Can you pray for me? The person sitting next to me, following Christ with me. Can you, can you help me? I, I'm struggling right now, but I'm not alone. There's a group of people 
surrounding me. And right now there's, there's two churches in the same building. We get to look at each other and say, wait a minute, we're, we're not alone in this. We look over here and our brother or our sister has fallen and they're flat on their face. And we run and we say, Jesus, give me the strength to help my brother off the ground because we're in this together. We get to give grace to one another. Pull each other up off the ground as we run and chase after Jesus. This is the vision of what the church is about. We get to say, brother, sister, don't give up. Let's do this together. Let's walk together. Friends, you and I, as we follow Jesus together, Paul goes as far as saying that you all are being built into a spiritual house that Jesus dwells in, in which every single member is crucial for its stability. And in fact, Redeemer Tom's River and Redeemer Point Pleasant, this includes you even across two churches. Ephesians 2, 18 through 22 says this, For through Him we have both access in one Spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints in the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple to the Lord. In Him also you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. As we aim to close here in a few minutes, I want you to understand that the good news ultimately is not only about you and the benefits that you have received from your faith. If we are not careful, that can place you at the center of the gospel. It can create unintentionally a Christianity that can be lived in isolation from one another. Rather, at the center of the good news is Jesus, His story, and His work. And it is that Jesus who calls us to follow Him. And when we are called to follow Him, we believe in Him, we know that we are safe and secure until our dying day. But one day, He will return. And once and for all, He will make His abode on earth physically with His people. He will wipe out all sin and death and darkness and wickedness through judgment. And He will set up His eternal city on earth when heaven and earth meet and become one forever and ever. Yet, right now, for you and I, He wants to give the world, He wants to give the Jersey Shore, a glimpse of that future right now by building us into a spiritual dwelling place of Christ through His Holy Spirit. Redeemer Tom's River, Redeemer Point Pleasant, you are not alone. In your individual churches, there's people together. There's even brothers and sisters spread out now over two cities. We want to be built up into a multi-church house, being joined together, growing into a holy temple of a dwelling place of God. So a few things as we close here, Redeemer, please pray for one another. I know we don't see each other often. I get it. The ease of communication, spending time with one another across two churches, it's not an easy thing. Some of you don't live near one another at all, and I understand that, but the ease of communication still exists if you think about it. Text, call, if you think, oh, that, 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 that guy or so-and-so at, this, at Tom's River, I, I missed them, or in Point Pleasant, I want to text and say, hey, how you doing? I want to call them up. I want to maybe pop in, right? Number two here, visit the other church from time to time. Redeemer Point, don't be shy about not being here and being in the Tom's River. Tom's River, don't be shy about coming over here and visiting us. Do it. Be in and out of each other's churches that we indeed remind ourselves we have two church families. And we are called to mission where we are, but ultimately we get to do that together as we build a regional network of churches and I want to end with some mission and vision items, but first, just especially thank you, Redeemer Tom's River, for the sacrifice of driving all the way over here. Um, I can't say it enough. I know it's in Point Pleasant. 
Um, you know, planting a church is hard. It's not easy. Um, I, I tell us, you know, people often hear that this community, I don't care what church plant you are. Nobody really cares that we're here. They're like, oh, okay, church plant. It's hard soil in the Northeast, and we know this. But your presence here uh, is going to have a, 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 a building and encouragement effect that goes beyond what you even imagine. So, Tom Zimmer, thank you for being here. Thank you. But as we still get our feet on the ground here at Deemer Point, we could use a little bit of practical help in the oncoming year. So we are aiming to bring these two churches um, not just relationally closer, but even functionally closer. In your bulletin, there's a little print-off here. If you can grab that. I want to walk through just a, a few basic things of what's ahead um, with this church in, in Tom's River as we seek to be more and more unified. After the first year of church planting, you learn a lot about what to do, but mostly about what not to do. It seems to be um, sometimes the biggest lessons to learn. And, and one of the mistakes we made inadvert inadvertently was not being just more intentional about having our churches together relationally and also functionally. Distance proved to be a more of a hurdle than we did anticipate. So a few basic steps that we are going to take in the oncoming year. We're going to be initially now sharing an elder board. Uh, if you're part of Redeemer Point, uh, hope you know the next year you'll be seeing more of the elders and pastors over at Redeemer Tom's River um, over here. But also functionally, many of the decisions that I will make here in Point Pleasant will come um, within plurality also with the, with the elders at Tom's River more than it has been in the past Year, I'm going to lean on those men more and more until, by God's grace, we can build our own elder board here in Point Pleasant. I'll be leaning on those guys for counsel, for guidance, and decision making until that day comes. We can do that here fully on our own. We're going to begin sharing the same sermon series across both churches to ensure that the same mission and vision and even the same text of Scripture is being projected from both pulpits and both churches, creating the opportunity for more shared pulpits. You'll be seeing more of Pastor Eric and John over here sharing the pulpit here. I'll be popping over in Redeemer Tom's River, actually, which I'm really excited about having the chance to do. Um, you'll be seeing uh, more faces than just my face over here. You'll also be working closer with the worship ministry from Tom's River to get more assistance in that area because I'm sure the folks at Point Pleasant are tired of seeing me sing music and preach and tired of hearing my voice. So as we close... I want to end with a special request to our brothers and sisters at Tom's River. Getting a church plant off the ground is difficult in the 21st century. More than likely, it's going to be slow going in these early years. So for the next year from now until September 20, I would request that you consider praying and considering devoting just four Sundays in the next calendar year to be present here in our services. The reality is that most visitors that we've had in our church plant, they visit on Sunday morning. And having your support of attendance is going to be very helpful for us. Not only will we get to see you and worship with you, but you will also be helping to fill this room a bit more for the visitors to not walk into such a large and empty room. And also for those visitors to get the reality that we have people from our other church family here. And so from day one, they also will realize this isn't just an isolated church, but this is part of a larger network of churches in the shore. So as we close, thank you all for being here. And we're going to shift gears now, as we've got finished with the mission and vision point, to focus back on our Christ, on our Jesus, who is indeed the center of the good news, who is a person who has gathered us to himself. He has summoned us in his presence, and we are all chasing after him by God's grace with one another. And we get to now visit the table of communion 
to celebrate and remember his death for us. I want to ask John to come up now. And as he's coming up, I want to pray. Jesus, thank you for this chance we had to walk through these things. Thank you for the good news of you. You are the good news. You have saved us. You pursued us. You have washed us in your blood. You have rescued us. And we have salvation. We are secure in you with faith. And thank you for that, Jesus. But thank you that our faith is not just about us. It's not primarily about us and what we get from you, Lord. It's you. It's you who are at the center of the gospel. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you that you have brought new life to us because of your resurrection. And it is because of you, because of your resurrection, that we are here as two churches this morning. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your good name. Amen. I don't know if I can say anything.